Hello and welcome to another Underground Ramblings podcast. On today's episode, we're talking to Imogen Furlong about her experience leading a variety of different expeditions. I'm Nadia and with me we have Gwen. Today we talked to Imogen about what drew her to expedition caving. We talked about how she got into leading inclusive expeditions and briefly touched on how there are some barriers into getting onto first expeditions. We also talked about her family-friendly caving trips and also her family-friendly expeditions that she's previously planned to Thailand. Uh, so thank you for joining us today, uh, Imogen. We're really looking forward to um, speaking with you. We've got quite a few questions to ask you and um, yeah, we're excited to hear what you've got to say. So I think we'll start with a nice, easy question um, and it'll help us learn more about your background. Could you please tell us how you got into caving? Well, yeah, I mean, I I would say that I I came to caving quite late, but um, I was about 25 when I first started caving. Um, so I'd already left uni. I was in Devon. Um, I was on a, a traineeship to learn to be an outdoor instructor, multidisciplinary, and we went caving as part of that course and it wasn't um, something that they were going to train us up to instruct but um, I really wanted to carry on caving so I joined the local caving club which was Devon's Logical Society and so that's how I started caving. So how did you get into expeditions because I understand that you've been on quite a lot all over the world do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, um, it was a, a good 12 years later, I, I, I think, that I went on my first expedition. I went on my first expedition in 2003, and that was to Matienzo and with, um, with SUS, which was Sheffield Uni Speleological Society. And I um, then went the following year, I went to India to Meghalaya on the Abode of the Clouds expedition. Um, and after, after I went on that expedition, when we found just kilometers and kilometers and kilometers of new passage, we didn't really find very much in Matienzo. Um, but in, in India, we found so much. I was just like, yeah, this is, this is, this is what I want to do. And so I, I continued going out to India every couple of years I went out there um I even you know I quit jobs so that I could go on expeditions basically because it felt like a a really important life experience wow. um and I spent about 10 years on um caving expeditions just going on lots of caving expeditions what, what actually inspired you to move from just sport caving to expedition caving? I'd got, I got a bit bored of um, just going up and down Yorkshire pots or just, yeah, I mean, that, that was it really. I, I've been to Hidden Earth and um, heard about these wonderful trips that people went on, um, but didn't get the opportunity really to do anything like that until until I'd got out of the 
rat race, I suppose, of, of, of being at work, being in a paid job where you can't take holiday, you know, you're not, because expeditions require, for the most part, require like a good month off work to do. And then um, uh, I'd moved to Yorkshire, I moved up to Yorkshire from London, and I'd started a new kind of career um, in sports development, but a lot of those jobs were breaks in between. And so it, wasn't, it wasn't as expensive a place to live as London either, so I had, had some disposable income. Mm-hmm. as well so that enabled me to go on expeditions and expeditions are quite addictive so mm-hmm. um once you start going on them you want to keep going on them basically so what what is it about expeditions that you find so addictive is there a particular aspect of it yeah um i think well there's there's a there's a social aspect to it which is that you're with some like-minded people and you've got a singular focus so everybody is looking to achieve the same end and you're only there to do that so there's no other distractions um that play into it when like um, when, when you're at home so so that's that's one thing that it really grounds you in the moment and what you're doing and um there you know it's hard to have any worries or cares above and beyond the next challenge or the next thing that that you've got to do on the expedition and then I suppose the other the other thing that makes it so addictive that you want to keep going back is that you have the excitement of finding new cave passage that hasn't been mapped hasn't been explored and just building a picture of the place that you're in the place that you're exploring so you can really get into that that mapping part of it exploring the challenges that you meet along the way nothing you, you don't know what you're going to meet around the corner so mm. it's very yeah it's very engrossing and then when it's over it's normal life seems quite mundane by comparison so you just start to want to go on the next adventure really it's just that it's just an absolute adventure so we were wondering if you can tell us about your first experience of leading an expedition and um maybe talk a bit about how you got into it yeah i'm trying to remember what my first expedition was i don't i don't think i don't actually i don't know if i know maybe if you could just uh talk a bit about um your experiences of leading expeditions yeah okay well leading an expedition's really about having an idea and recruiting people to come along so that that is quite i would say it's quite difficult to do that unless you've already built up a bit of a network of people so so yeah so i've kind of through the few years that i was caving decades or so i built up a bit of a network of people that i knew who knew me and then i kind of started to embark on leading trip leading trips abroad and expeditions and there's a lot of research involved there's um 
like you say, you need to get you need to get a fixer in the in the country, or yeah, 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 you need somebody in the country who knows how to get you access to the area that you want to explore. Permits if they if they're required, um, and then you need to choose a team. Um, sometimes, if it's an expensive expedition, then it then you can only really there needs to be people who can afford it. But um, but generally, it's it's quite good to have a mix of people who are quite experienced, but also people who are not as experienced because if you have if you have too many people who are really experienced, then you can end up with everybody having a very strong opinion about what should be done. Not everybody agreeing. Consensus then becomes a bit of a challenge to negotiate. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a particularly dogmatic leader in that in that way. So trying to get to consensus is the main is the main aim really. But setting an ob a good objective, that's that's important. Um, so when you're when you're leading an expedition, do you set the objective before finding the team, or do you do it collectively? No, I would set the objective first. Generally, that's the way I do it. I mean, I know a lot of uni clubs will all get together and then maybe collectively. Where should we go? Should we go on an expedition? What should we do? Where should we go and and do it do it a bit more, in that kind of style, but generally, well, I I'll have an idea, like I've got I, I've got places that I want to go, now, and then I'll be like, right, who wants to come with me to this place? Basically, I think that we're gonna find some cave here or whatever, um, and then just use brute enthusiasm to inspire people to come and pay the airfare and take time off work um, yeah so i mean i I've, I've had expeditions where we didn't find anything um but i don't i don't i think pretty much everybody's always had a good time even if we didn't find anything and that's arguably more important <laughs> it's a bit like you know fish on we didn't really find <laughs> what do you mean we found loads <laughs> loads of little holes lots of little holes nothing went do you think it's quite hard to find the right people um for an expedition or to fill the spaces for example i've never had a problem that's good spaces choose um you know who can come is it oversubscribed sometimes um no, I don't. I don't think I've ever had. Well, I mean, you know, I just. It depends where we're going, because like when in Thailand, it. I would arguably it got oversubscribed. We have fifty people. Wow. <laughs> so it's a bit, a lot of people, and it's not. I mean, that was okay because that area could really accommodate it, but um, that I mean, that that did include the kids, but um if you're expedition leading oh, and one of i mean one of the important things on on an expedition is the data gathering and um and keeping on top of what people have found and if you've got a lot it, it, it becomes a huge task 
when you've got more people because there's more people going out and you've got to try and chase down that data make sure people are surveying what they should survey and putting logging entrances and the database and, and you could end up just working all the time not having any downtime and you could end up not being as much fun for you as an expedition leader because you're always nagging people um, and I have found that in the past and and these these days I tend to just let it go and not worry about it so much to be honest um if you I mean it that's if you go you know new areas and things I mean if you're like if you're going on to an established system like the Tianqing expeditions um or you know trying to connect caves into an established system then it's a little bit more it's a little bit easier to control that because you've got teams going into the same cave over and over again and and it becomes more of a routine to you have to the last team has to input their data in order for them and then the next team puts their data and mm-hmm. more rest days and things like that so it 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 does make things a bit easier I want to take it back to your comment about how you found um, people to join your expedition based on your network. Mm. And so this is like something that Becca Lawson brought up when we spoke to her about like one of the the things she's worried about is um, because of the way that like expeditions form, they're often based on these networks and how do people get into, um, how do some people get into expeditions Uh, do you have any comments about that do you mean how do people get onto their first expedition yeah just that there's a barrier getting into onto your first expedition yeah well I mean I suppose it is a bit of a barrier because if nobody knows you then nobody you need to have a reference because Obviously, caving is there, there. There are risks involved, and you need competent people. So, if people aren't competent, then they're a liability, basically. So, um, yeah, you, you, you know, if you if you don't know, you don't have to know people personally, but it helps if you've got a reference. So, I'll take an example. So, when I was on the Kyrgyzstan expedition, um, there was this American chap that wanted to come along, young young American caver, and I didn't know who he was. So I just started messaging my caving network in the States, people that I knew, to see if they knew who, who, who he was. And then they message their network and then they were able to come back to me with a yeah no he's all right (laughs) not my ability he'd be all right and he's not a and he's not a dick either because that's quite important yeah that was something that we brought up as well as wanting to be with people you enjoy not just anyone I mean you know it's not you don't have to it doesn't have to just be people who are a laugh you know I'm not I'm not you know it takes all sorts for a team but it they need to be people who don't like 
aren't just extremely difficult and demanding right because i've kind of got the time for that so yeah i mean you know quiet people noisy people slightly annoying people are okay um everybody's a bit annoying sometimes aren't they yes um, <laughs> but prone to fits of rage and being i don't know you know they're, they're, you, you, you know you just want to suss out people's people's temperament mm-hmm. a bit. you're mm-hmm. going to be stuck with them for a whole month aren't you yeah and, and and if you get somebody who's really really awful it can ruin an expedition mm. so there's that as well mm. yeah yeah you know i think people i don't think expeditions are that oversubscribed i think um like maybe it's my perspective of like i've joined the cambridge university expedition and in recent years it's being like expanded to include like a lot of different universities and so there's a lot of student cavers um and it like i think that expedition probably would have been oversubscribed currently um well with COVID it's not running so um (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah I guess maybe different the non-student ones have a very different dynamic to them yeah well I mean I mean I've been turned down for expeditions so you know like to get turned down for an expedition be like why what's wrong with me why don't you want me why don't you want me don't you know how cool I am I'm really strong as well <laughs> maybe they thought I was a dick <laughs> maybe they thought you'd uh, try and lead the expedition no I don't do that I love not leading the expedition (laughs) so um I wanted to ask what what sort of the dynamic is like for you when you're the leader compared to when you're um not leading an expedition when you're when you're leading an expedition it's just bloody hard work that's basically the dynamic what do you find hardest? Like, oh, what Imogen, what should we do today? And you're like, well, bloody look at the leads list and figure it out, figure it out for yourself. What am I, your mum? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so you can get a bit of like kind of people not not engaging their own, you know, people wanting to be spoon fed probably be one of the dynamics of being a leader. So yeah, there's um, there's a bit of that. There's like I said, there's like chasing people for data. Um, the set setting the culture of the expedition, I think, is important. What do you enjoy most about being a leader? I enjoy that you you set you can set the tone of the expedition. So, um, you know, you you can make sure it's not it's inclusive and that it's not just like the same old people getting all the best leads and and you can you know encourage a bit of less cliqueiness and things like that Mm. well they do form anyway but you can 
you can you, yeah that's one of the nice things about being a leader is that you can be really accepting um not all expeditions are accepting mm. that's a nice thing about being a leader and with you know and you you choose where you want to go you don't have to wait for somebody else to come up with an idea one of the things we wanted to talk to you about was your um, experience uh, leading the Thailand ex expedition, um, like as a family expedition, which I think probably leads into what or leads on from what you were saying about um, setting the tone and the inclusiveness of your expedition. Can you tell us a little bit about the Thailand expedition? Yeah. So, well, my my expeditioning stopped when I had a child. So I went on my last proper expedition in 2011, and then I had a child, and I uh, didn't really go on an expedition again until 2016, when I organized the Thai family one. So Rowan, my son, would have been five then. Four, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, so Rowan, my son, would have been four then, and I was just, to be honest, I was just desperate to do have some adventure, really desperate. Um, and so I thought, well, I need to organise an expedition where I can take him along and see what we can find, and um, other people, if they've got kids, they can come too. Um, so having children, you didn't have to have a child to come. Or, <laughs> um, and quite a lot of people that came didn't have kids. But a few people that came did have kids. So it was it, it was a family-inclusive expedition. And I had a friend of mine from the United States who'd had a child and hadn't really done much then. She came and, it, yeah, it was really good. It was really good. And what we did was we had, um, it was only two weeks long, so it fit in with, like, holiday. Um, and we kind of basically created that, that expedition feeling, that commune feeling, that we had kids in the mix as well. So the kids got to know each other. And then I, let's say, you know, one set of parents would look after somebody else's children so those parents could go caving and then you'd return the favor the following day and and it and it and it started to work really really well and we and the other thing that made it really successful is that we found cave so we found uh, a river cave going ended up being about one and a half kilometers long in the main drain part um and that was very exciting. And then we also found some other caves, really well-decorated caves that looked like they were going to break into it, but they didn't. But in the end, I mean, I think that first expedition we found in the region of like two kilometres of new cave passage. So it was overwhelmingly successful for a two-week expedition with loads of kids on. And then the next time we ran it, like I said, we had like 50 people. Wow. We had a load of Australians along on the second expedition and it it was too big. It was too big. And then when we did it again, 
Um, it was much, much, much smaller again the last time we did it. About how many people on the third time? I'm sure I think about 20, something like that. And how many children were there? 10 kids, 20 kids. I'm just trying to remember. Sorry. Should have got my stats. <laughs> just trying to get an idea of um, the logistics of it. Oh, I know. I know. Well, we, we, the second time, you know, the really big one, we were staying at two different venues and the communications and getting data and stuff. It, it was, it, it was a nightmare. And then there should have been, you know, there was somebody appointed at the second place to, to get the data, but they didn't really do a very good job of it. If I'm honest. Sorry, you're listening. How did you find the dynamic? Um, yeah. So it was a bit, it ended up being a bit annoying having to try and track information down. Right. But like I say, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm trying not to be, I, I try not to, to care too much anymore. Mm. Like, you know, if it's a big cave system and you're missing a whole chunk of data, that's really annoying. But if some people have explored a few entrances and they didn't go and then it didn't get logged, then, well... It's just a waste of time. It's a waste of their time, really. Somebody else might end up going, and then it's a waste of the people that end up going and doing it again. It's a waste of their time, too. Well, that's all it is. It's just a waste of people's time and energy. Mm-hmm. It's never getting the record. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can end up ruining your own holiday if you, get, if, you get too, if you get too upset about people not passing on the information or not put, inputting it. Mm. I'll try not to do that anymore. For your own sanity. Mm-hmm. My own holiday. Yes. <laughs> and how did the like were the kids enjoying the expedition? What sort of activities were they do- doing during the day? Yeah, so they so they did. They had a fantastic time. Well, just being in a country like that anyway, with different food and different climate and a completely different environment is quite stimulating anyway. And then they've got each other, so they've got that vibe. So they're kind of getting that caving expedition vibe experience of what it's like to be on an expedition. And then they would get to go caving as well. So there were some caves, you know, you'd explore a bit of it um, on one day. And then the next day, a group of kids and adults obviously would go in because it has been risk assessed the day before and it's fine it's safe <laughs> um and then they could go in and 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 you know have a look around and everything oh i'm obviously only if it was um if it was safe to do that so yeah it was good they they had a really good time and they i mean there's other activities as well like swimming and going and seeing elephants and stuff <laughs> Thailand's got well was quite set up for tourism I think it's really interesting that you're commenting about the children getting the sort of commune um caving expedition experience like I hadn't really thought of that but that's such an interesting experience for them and meeting new adults that are maybe taking them um like into caves and uh, meeting kids from different parts of the world. Um, mm-hmm. It seems very valuable. Yeah. And, and well, I mean, I just think that we don't really live tribally, do we? Mm-hmm. But when you're 
on a caving expedition, that's basically what it is. It's a bit like living a bit more tribally, where everybody kind of hangs out together, everybody eats together in a big group, and um, you know, activities are decided in that group way, and then and then everybody breaks off into their little family groups to go to bed. But that's, I think, quite a cool experience to have. And we, I enjoyed it. And also, you know, as a parent, you get a bit of free time to go and, and explore and do some caving. I mean, the caving that first time we went was amazing because we actually did break into proper going, excellent cave. Um, we didn't find anything quite as good the subsequent couple of times we went. But nevertheless, we did still find cave. Mm-hmm. Not like a as much in one cave but lots right. of little caves that that were maybe 300 meters long or something is that an area that you're planning on going back to if uh regulations allow yeah i mean i i don't know i it would be nice don't know i'm just very grateful that um i did it when i could and right. I didn't put it off and I didn't procrastinate and I didn't say, oh, I'll do it when I retire or I'll do it when my kids are grown up or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm just pleased that I made it happen. Yeah, I think it's really great that you've um, made a space for these um, family inclusive expeditions and I know that you put on some Uh, family inclusive trips in Scotland as well Um, and I just wanted to ask you how important do you think this is making caving accessible to families and children? I personally well I think it's really important and I think it's a I think it's a gender thing I think um, that what happens is that women and men they get together birds and the bees um they have kids and somebody's got to look after the kids and quite often it's the man that goes caving and keeps the hobby and the woman stays at home looks after the kids and i think that there's a lot more female cavers now and um, a lot more people have formed partnerships with other cavers. It's not the case for me, but um, but a lot of people do. And then they once they have children, it's right. Okay, we are not going to let the kids to the caving hut. Some clubs, and so then basically you're forcing that family to split up. Well, one person can go caving and the others, the other person has to stay at home with the kids. Or they both just stop caving. Yeah, and that's a shame when we lose. Yeah, yeah, so then you basically, you lose. So you get, you get, you've got the student cavers and then you've got old Barts and then you lose all these people in the middle when they go off and have a family. Whereas if you had a far more family inclusive way working you would keep those people in the club you would give them 
their week weekends, like family meets. They could all meet up, and then they keep their friendship groups. They've got the kids get to know each other, and so it it works better. I mean, I know South Wales have got their little family house thing next to the the main hut. I I it's okay, but it's kind of like then. You've still got the same issue. If you've got the kids that are young and you put them to bed, then you've got to leave them. Go and socialise, so you end up not doing that. So you're still cutting yourself off. So it's better, really, if, like, we can be a bit more tribal about these things and just say, right, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now there's kids here, too, and that's okay. That's my feeling about it, anyway. It's interesting... Um, that you're mentioning sort of the tribal community aspect of caving because I think for a lot of us that's one of the main draws to being in caving and and not really considering what happens once you have have children so I think that's a really interesting uh, perspective and something that we should be thinking about a lot more well I mean I think there are some societies that are a bit better at including kids I don't think we're very good at that. Yeah, I know that my club's working on um, a membership for children or young like teenagers at the minute because it is, it's definitely an issue for, for young people or children who want to get into it and there's just no way at the minute. Yeah, that's a slightly different issue mm. um, of, of recruiting younger people as cavers. I'm thinking more of like the attrition rate of losing your members yeah. because they've started a family and you're not enabling them to go caving as a family mm. by have, by saying, "Oh no, we don't want kids in the hut." Mm. And there's that there's that kind of um, I come here to get away from my wife and kids. I don't want to find them here when I'm. Home. Yeah. old man thing no no I, no I don't want to offend all the old men out there because I know they're not all like that <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm forming a, a grumpy stereotype that doesn't always it doesn't but that, we all know one don't we we do we all know yeah. one but yeah no I mean that's my that's that's how I feel about it anyway mm. I know that I know that kids really annoy some people. So, but it doesn't have to be every weekend, does it? I mean, as long no. as you can, like, have um, a welcome, really. Mm. That you're not excluding people. But I'm lucky my club, GSG, is really good. I've always just taken Rowan to the hut. I'm mm. often the only kid there. But if there's a meet, I'll just go and I'll just take Rowan. Mm. Just take him. He sleeps in the bunk room with me. But <laughs> maybe people are too scared to say anything to me, but they don't. <laughs> well, that's, I think that's he for does, the better. He can be really annoying. Mm. He can really wind people up sometimes. You'll be like, stop doing that. Yeah, but a lot of the old farts annoy people as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is true. This is true. I feel like part of the Why joy of being annoying ban you from being a member of the gaming club. <laughs> I 
I don't think I know any gamers that aren't like actively annoying for entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> and does Rowan, like, how did you in introduce Rowan to caving? I assume from like very young, but. Yeah, I've taken him caving, but he didn't really like it. So, and then I wondered whether I'd been a bit, a bit too pushy. Um, and he'd go and he'd go to a cave entrance and he'd look at me and go, no, nah, I'm not going in there. And then cry. I'm definitely not going in there. But now he's really quite keen on it. He quite enjoys it. But he has this fill quite quickly. <clears throat> so he's not, he doesn't do long trips. He probably, an hour and he'll, he'll be over it. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I finished. I don't want to come out. Um, but he still is only eight. So, mm. um, yeah. yeah, he's quite adventurous though. He's had a lot of experiences <laughs> in his little life. Um, yeah, probably more than me. Typical, a typical child, really. <laughs> but he does, yeah, he does, it, he does go crazy. It sounds like a great childhood though. Yeah, he's got his buddies that he sees that he goes caving with. Um, and I think he enjoys just hanging at the hut more on those meets where we have the family meets. Um, yeah, no, he, he enjoys meeting his buddies at the hut and just larking about and having fun, pairing mm. around. That's like the thing he probably enjoys more than going caving or anything else. Mm -hmm. Social. I think there's a lot of people like that, though, isn't there? It's not just, not just Rowan. Yeah. No, many adults. The caving. <laughs> well, it's um, like for me, like when I started caving, I just moved to the UK, and I like sort of adopted the cavers I was with as as like my family there, and they've sort of remained that way. And so the idea of um, like bringing back to the attrition rates of, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Like when you're a young person, it's sort of like you know your friends are your family and then that dynamic changes when you have children so mm -hmm. I think yeah the like these these family weekends when when the children get to know each other it sort of expands that sort of community instead of cuts it off so I I think what you're doing is so important and I'm really hopeful that that keeps happening and expands I mean I mean I accept that not not everybody wants to take their kids to a caving club hut. Yeah, but I think there's always room to make it more accessible to parents to come back caving. I yeah, that's what I think. I think that, you know, that some people have really struggled with their club. Mm -hmm. You know, the club might as well have pushed them all out the door. Hopefully things will change. I think so. Because, like, you know, the same people moaning about how the club's got no young members. Yeah, exactly. So, just be inclusive, don't we? <laughs> I was just going to say, we've been speaking for about an hour now, so um, I think we'll close the conversation. And uh, the last question that I wanted to ask you, um, the question is, what is it about caving that keeps you coming back for more? I don't know. Um, it's a time, well, it's a time warp, isn't it? Yeah. But you don't know how long you've been underground. 
most of the time. Um, and you're not thinking about anything else when you go underground. Like, I find it really hard to switch off if there's something going on in my life. I find it really hard to switch off from that. I get thoughts come into my head all the time. And like, and you're like, oh, I don't want to be thinking about this on the weekend, but they come in anyway. And if I go, if I go hiking, it still happens. Um, but if I go caving, it's gone. So uh, caving definitely is very grounding from that point of view. Um, and so there, so it's, it's a genuinely, if you go caving, for me, it's genuinely a good break from that, which can be quite exhausting. So, I mean, you know, I know I need to meditate more. <laughs> Just do more caving, it's fine. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't live anywhere near any caves. <laughs> I mean, it was like I drove over to Loch Karen today and then I drove all the way back. So, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not great, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I think, I think that's why. And, and I, you know, and for all the other reasons that I've told you about today, just the, um, the friendships, the, the comradeship, the sense of shared purpose, that those things, that's what keeps me going caving. And I have made a few caving movies as well. I haven't told you about those. I can send, I can try and upload, I don't know if I've got them all uploaded onto YouTube yet, but, yeah, but I can upload those onto YouTube and send you a link that you can put on the podcast if you want, if anyone wants to yeah. watch that would be great do you want to tell us just like a a little bit about what the films are i made i've made i made three films about caving expeditions i've been on so there there's a film about burma caving with monks there's a film about mexico and then there was a film about india on the shenong rim um, and then I made a little film about cave diggers in the Peak District, and that was shown at Kendall Mountain Film Festival a few years ago. But then I've also made a very short, little short film about the Thailand trip, the last one that we were on. Um, the kids, mini cavers, big adventures, or something like that. I can't remember exactly what I called it. And that that's quite cool. That's just a little short film about kids going caving in Thailand, really. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll send you a link to those. Yeah, please do. And we will figure out a way of um, sharing them with our podcast so that people can check those out. And I just wanted to like thank you again for, for coming on and uh, spending your time with us and um, okay. really changing, changing my perspective about like, families with caving I had not thought about it that way so I'm really grateful for your perspective okay okay <laughs> um well you know in a few years time I can talk about being elderly and going caving. <laughs> <laughs> thank you again to Imogen for sitting down with us and sharing her wealth of experience I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode and we'll see you next time